lovely Jesus I have so much to be thankful for you have given a life to me and it's you alone I adore this is my podcast 26 and it's a chapter from my autobiography, well, an autobiography that yet to be written. Title, The Last Holiday, Then Heaven for David. I'd like to paint a picture of our last bit of holiday together. Castles, gardens and tea shops. <laughs> the title implied that someone had a sense of humour and the word gentle seemed to fit David's needs. We set off to Shropshire uh, for the three-and-a-half-hour journey. And it would happen that the M1 was actually closed that day. So after four hours, we had driven 45 miles and a kind lady at the petrol station let us use her private loo. It was me in the driving seat, but we were reasonably patient with the greatest fun to be had, seeing how many times we passed Eddie Sadobart on the left and a smart sports car on the right. Here, our mobile came uh, into uh, use and I let the manager of Preston Montford know that we would be late. Anyway, redirected, we crossed the town and still found our descent to a motorway queue <laughs> that was stationary. David tried a little of the driving, but found it was difficult for him. So, at dusk, I was the one driving along an extremely long Shrewsbury bypass, hoping not to miss. <laughs> Where well, we got the turn. But my apprehensions were not needed, and the beautiful Georgian house rose to view. Our destination... Another couple were late as well, a mother and daughter, and we were very kindly received and welcomed to a late supper before we retired to a lovely modern suite room and settled for the night. I think that David must have been getting ready to go that night because every two hours he woke me either to have pills or something else. So it was a tired Elspeth that tried to hurry my beloved round to breakfast. When there, we found all hustle and bustle. Everyone was making packed lunches and enjoying their breakfasts on school-type tables. Our course was held at the same time as others, so we were a mixed but very cultured and green bunch. Dear David, he would not be hurried, so I left him to it, and when I came to collect him, in the dining room, he was asking for a tray of the hatch to clear up. Bless him. Anyway, that coach must go at 9.30. And I just made it, with David trailing behind. Oh, yes. And we took the new lightweight walking stick with us as well. I don't think I was very fond of reminding David that it was the worst night I'd had for ages. But as the day moved on, it didn't seem to matter. We were on a trail of Sheila and a Giggs, a rather curious quest for two Christians. They were rude little fem female figures ready for the sex, carved in stone at odd places in churches, some of them mutilated. You can understand why, as the old fertility religion sought to take hold even in Christian churches. 
The Shropshire countryside was gorgeous and the skilled coach driver took us along the narrowest of tracks. However, it did rain most of the time, which dampened the view somewhat, though not our spirits. David and I chuckled privately over the assiduous older females meticulously taking photographs of the most insignificant of features. One very old Saxon church was placed near a stable. I remember David, as did some of the others, really warming to the horse there and petting and stroking it. Afternoon tea was taken at Much Wenlock. It was not raining, well, not much anyway, and such a pretty place. Some of them went to see the Abbey, but I thought David and I ought to head for a cuppa. So we went to, I think, was it the Copper Kettle and had a coffee each. I also sketched the black and white Guildhall while he patiently sat with me. Oh, yes, <laughs> both of us independently fell for a curious potted plant displayed outside a shop. We agreed to buy it. It was Aeolian Schwarzkop, if I pronounce it right, a black cap, and was bulbous and dark maroon, all for £2.95. I remember it was a lovely touch to find something we both delighted in, so I got propped up near an empty seat, on. The, so it got propped up on an empty seat on the way back. At the last stop, where the coach disgorged and all examined another touch of history. I looked at David, and we understood each other. No, he was not going to bother to get out of that stop. I think he talked to the coach driver. Back at base, with a large slice of cake and tea on offer, all David and I wanted was a nap. So we did. We slept a little, and then felt much better, ready for the evening meal. Again, school meal table fashion, we enjoyed our chicken casserole, delicious breadcrumbed roast potatoes and veg. And then there was, I think, a peach crumble, which I doubt, no doubt David would have eaten at home. But yes, he enjoyed it and also asked for a bowl of custard for seconds after. Replete, we sat with coffee and enjoyed slides of what we had seen and taste the slides of what we were going to see the next day. Ludlow and Stokesy Castle, both favourites of mine, which I hadn't been round for about 25 years. Colin Groves, our lecturer, illuminated our understanding, fascinated us with history again and made us eager for the next day of events. Dave and I also agreed with a chuckle that we wouldn't be climbing up the big tower. We were really satisfied that day. When we were ready for bed, I sat down beside David on his bed, put my hand in his and said, We really don't want another night like last night. Let's pray together. So I said just simply, Dear Lord Jesus, please give us a really good night's sleep. After which resounded a loud, Amen, from David. And he read his new BBC History magazine for a little. And I read, and then after another nip of brandy, he fell asleep, and so did I. I woke up feeling really good, having had the best night's sleep for a long time. And he, David, woke up in heaven. When I woke next morning and looked over the room, 
I thought David must have had too many sleeping pills. He was in a sleep position with his arm over his head, his elbow up and his fingers dangling. After a bit, I thought I'd prepare our morning cup of coffee and I rattled the teacups a little, but there was no response. So finally, I went over to nudge him and realised that he didn't move and was stiff. Now, my reaction was not horror. I said inside myself and almost aloud, Oh, you've gone! In surprise that it had happened just then. You've gone! Subheading, Oh, I understand now, God. You've done it this way. There was a beating heart in me of expectancy. God, this is big time change. I almost had a little glimpse into God's purposes. After all, did I not think that there was any way I could make my dear David happy in these last months? We tried so many ways. And this was the only solution, to go home. To go home to heaven, where a place was prepared for him. Not on his merits, not on anyone's merits, but on the fact that he had surrendered his life to Jesus. And however wayward he had been, the contract had stood. Jesus laying down his life, spilling his blood for us, secured our place in heaven eternally. Realising that I was only in my nighty, <laughs> I think I said aloud with a chuckle almost, David, you'll have to wait a minute till I get dressed and my lens is in. I note now that when I was faced with death, it was not terrible. It was not the stuff of horror movies. I'd always had a vivid imagination, and even going up to bed up the, the shadowy stairs as a child produces all sorts of fears, visualising strange and terrible beings. I knew for a fact that my husband David was not there. He was definitely not there. His body was his old clothes, no longer needed. I didn't really want to linger looking at his body. The person I knew had left it. David had said he had wanted a praise party round his bed when he went. Well, the lovely sensitive warden was kindness himself. There was a sympathetic policeman trying to get out of me David's full medical history. There was a rather surly doctor who came and went quickly, I'm glad to say. There were two kind paramedics and then an undertaker all trying to be extremely nice to me. In fact, I started to learn the skill then, <laughs> which I needed a lot over the next few weeks, of putting people at ease who didn't know quite how to treat me. The warden even brought up, brought us all up a tray of tea and toast. And it was quite crowded in the room nine. Nearly a praise party. We even half forgot that over there was a dead body. Oops, no, don't sit down there by mistake. Thoughts on, thoughts on death. The way I just knew that he had gone made me wonder about people who spend a long time with the bodies of their loved ones. You can't put the life back into dead bodies. God is the author of life and the only author. 
maybe people need to see to understand. It's so hard when someone who was in the prime of life and pink of health, when you last saw them, is reported dead. How can that be, you think? I've thought that how can you, that striking lady, so well-groomed, so hard done so by her husband, share her anger in my kitchen after the Alpha Course meal and then not be there but die? I know now. The life moves away. It doesn't die. How we delineate that sphere to which it's gone, how we can possibly describe it, how we can imagine it, takes every imagination. And as to where that life moves on to, we're not allowed to have visitors from the other side back again to tempt us with glimpses of the beyond. We do, however, have the written word with which the Spirit's affirmation in our spirits assures us of the places prepared for us, not just like a hundred-bed hotel, even five-star. No, our accommodation is individually prepared with our names on the door and our tastes catered for and our characters glowing with all the vibrancy of their full potential. David's moving on also brought home to me powerfully that you can't take anything with you. Yes, you can prepare for the journey, but that preparation is spiritual. The lovely heirlooms that we treasured together, passed down from his parents, are not precious to him now. He has gone beyond the joy of the familiar, the special, the expensive, to a new kind of joy that we can only guess at that we might have the very faintest inklings of when we're caught up in the spirit, those times when we not only make the motions of praise and worship, but are cataclysmically full of his spirit. We often quote the verse, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We can flesh that out, we can believe it, we can imagine it, not only going from a poor sacrificial existence, say as a Christian, in one of our undeveloped countries, when persecution holds them in thrall, to the joys of heaven, but from our materialistic enjoyment, and also full of spiritual joys, to some so amazing that our minds would blow if we were to imagine it. In seeing David being freed from his earthly body, I have been, in some way, released into boldness. The question I want to ask everyone is, have you thought of where you're going? You don't end after your body does. And you're not given your four score world days and ten to make the best of it, and that's that. No, now know for certainty that this life is a prelude to a most magnificent symphony imaginable. I have always thought that one good piece of evidence for that fact is that we ourselves are eternal, is the fact that you feel the same person inside, whether you are 30 or 40 or 50 or any age. Outside, your body grows older and it shows it, but inside you are just the same. Yes, you mature a bit, you're prepared to say, no, I don't understand. Whereas a younger person, you mind too, mind too much about what people think, to be honest. 
But basically, you are you, and you're going to be go on being you after your body has left behind it. The way I have been programmed for 21 years is that every fibre of feeling reaches out in love for David. This does not contradict the whole of my adoration, appreciation, but the one feeling is blessed by the other. My horizontal caring has official sanction affected by the vertical caring. Over the years, my total appreciation in every sense of it that David has been reciprocated by him, though not in the same way and not evenly. The gift of being in love was God-breathed, from holding hands on the old railway track to the desire to dance in the spirit in front of him after a Bible study we shared with his parents. This love erupted in one flame on a Sunday tea time at 69 Mapleware Road, where the kettle boiled merrily, unheeded, and we kissed fully for the first time. I remember pausing saying, Say it, man! And we were engaged. My feet were three feet off the ground for months. The love was sensual. I do remember thinking that my lips were a bit sore with kissing as we waited for eagerness and purity for the God-bless union and the consummation of our sexual love. But the welding together of two separate people, which has supernaturally started, needs sandpaper and takes time, and you learn to admit you're wrong. But that flow of serving love, of companionship, Love which is always returned and reciprocated just by the other party being there is not suddenly stopped by the death of a loved one. No, I don't need to pray for him now. He's not in any purgatory. He is in that new home in heaven promised by God's word, guaranteed by the Spirit. But I can't suddenly change the groundswell of my personality, which always comes back to integrating with the husband. I have an outward flow that must stream elsewhere or retract like the tide. I'm still thinking, oh, David would like that, or oh, David would laugh with me over that. I am an open person and like relating to every human being nearby, whether in a train or a queue or a church service. But that is an instant relationship which may or may not have support. It doesn't build it on those myriad understandings, those thousands of shared situations, those hundreds of mutual reactions, which is what marriage is about. As when David was here, at the same time as relating to him, I had other good relationships, a friendship with professionals, relations, members of family or the family of Jesus too. These relationships will continue. Maybe some of them will deepen as the lodestone of my life has left. My daughter is my friend. I share my most intimate thoughts with her, but even she can't be intimate companion of my married days. I do offer all my feelings to the Lord, where there is natural hurt, I ask him to sanctify it, to purify it, to bless it. I also ask him for his healing, that he might 
the sore edges might be tinged with joy and the sorrow be sweet. Our spiritual enemy would try and inject guilt with the if only I had and why wasn't I more and maybe if we'd but I do know the source of these conjectures. If there's anything to forgive, God has forgiven it. I refuse to drag to the surface any minor sins. He, David, is in joy and glory. I do pray that the love that I have given and still am programmed to give, like a mother's milk, still appears at the breast of the child that is weaned, that his love will imbue me with deeper compensation than before. I had immense compassion for the single women who longed for marriage. I now have immense compassion for those whose life partners have gone. I can pray, God, use this. Take me, Lord, here I am. Lead me, Lord, with your hand. Take me, Lord, here I am.